same way I own a mill up, own a smell up, cook the fuck, he tried to sell us, you can pick up, couple grand and a fill up, peel the top back, we don't need no fucking pill up, uncle murder, you can still get turned up. What's going on everybody, it's your boy Jordan And this is Desmond And welcome to episode 189 of Two Black Nerds Yerd. That's right, it's that time once again for us to bring you our opinions and our takes on all things fandom, pop culture, and entertainment As always, you can find Two Black Nerds wherever you get your podcasts Please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support And of course, join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok At Two Black Nerds, we appreciate that love y'all And let's not forget to mention, we have brand new merchandise available now at twoblacknerds.com go check out our two black jedi and sith collections inspired by star wars we got t-shirts crew neck hoodie stickers mugs and tote bags so go ahead and place those orders right now on today's show we'll be reviewing netflix's action thriller sequel starring chris hemsworth extraction 2 also we'll discuss the 27th feature film from pixar animation studios elemental plus we'll share our thoughts on the star-studded new wes anderson film asteroid city but before we get to any and all of that we're kicking off this week's podcast with a review of the comedy horror film that dropped this past juneteenth weekend the blackening on june 16th Wait, hold up. I know I left his door See the horror film. Preview audiences are calling a killer experience. The blackening. Oh, no. no, thank you. Probably runs on racism. Pick a card. Will you die? In your predicament, the black character is always the first to die. I will spare your lives if you sacrifice the person you deem the blackest. Guys, I can prove I'm not the blackest. Prove it. I thought black Twitter was a type of seasoning. I like Jimmy Fallon without the roots. And wrong. I voted for Trump. What? what? Twice. Your time is up. It's time to die. Let's go! What do we do? Call the cops. <laughs> A plan. Let's get some weapons. Wait, chili powder girl? What I'm finna do? Cook? Sorry, girl, we went on that. the doors get down i'll be right back now this movie is directed by tim story and it's written by tracy oliver and Dwayne perkins and it's starring grace byers jermaine fowler melvin gregg x mayo Dwayne perkins antoinette robertson Cinque walls jay farrow and yvonne orgy so the blackening this is a movie that's pretty much been developed by Dwayne perkins back in 2018 he shot a short entitled The Blackening as well for Comedy Central. And once he made that short, Tracy Oliver discovered it and immediately wanted to make a full length feature film out of the premise of that short. And the basic premise is this. If a horror movie has an all black cast, 
then who's going to be the person to die? Because we know <laughs> the history of horror films would typically kill off the black character first, but this was going to be a playful spin on that trope. But this movie actually premiered a little bit close to a year ago last year at the Toronto International Film Festival back in September of 2022 before having its wide theatrical release this past Juneteenth weekend. This is something we got a chance to take a group of people to to go check out in theaters and have fun with. So with all of that out the way, man, I will pass it over to you. What did you think about The Blackening? I was pretty god dang excited, I think, to see this film, mainly because, one, how often do we get, I think, an all-black cast for a horror film, satire or not, just in general, the idea of a, of a horror movie with an all-black cast already excited me. Um, not only that, but I really enjoy pretty much the whole cast with, uh, that they brought together in separate projects, whether it's the Sinqua Walls or the Yvonne Orgy. We've seen these actors and actresses all over the place um, in, in Hollywood in different projects, and I usually enjoy them, even though low-key, I think Sinqua Walls has a terrible agent. The, the man is never <laughs> in like a great movie ever, but I still, I still know he's talented and, and, and a good dude. And so again, seeing all these people in this movie uh, also had me excited because they are talented people. And so going into the movie, man, we got a little group together. We went to go see the film. And I will say, I think the movie does reward viewing as a group. You know, I couldn't imagine watching this movie by myself, not with my friends, not with other black people, not being surrounded I think by jokes that we can just laugh at each other or look at each other and understand. Um, and so I, I, I give this movie points for that. I also give this movie points for, I think, uh, trying to do something different while playing on the tropes that is being black characters in horror films. I, I, I think that's a cool idea. I, I didn't mind that premise either. I really like the idea of all these friends getting together on a camp getaway and the house getting shut down. I was like, okay, there's a lot here that can be done, man. And I, I had a lot of fun with that stuff too. There's some, there, you're going to laugh at least a couple times. There's some really good humor in here, but this movie suffers from something. And I, I don't know what to call it in my mind right now. I'm calling it the Kenya bears effect, <laughs> I, but I don't know what to call it where you en you're enjoying the movie, and then satire gets thrown at you. So, which is not bad. It's a satirical movie, right? That is okay to a degree. Satire over and over and over and over gets exhausting after a while. Um, and, I, I mean, I'll be, you know, the first person to say, no, I like that satire there. I like that satire here. But when it's the entire film, and they keep throwing these lines at you that feel like, Somebody was typing them up on Twitter <laughs> over and over. And it's like, oh, that was a tweet. Oh, that was a tweet, too. When that keeps happening, it tends to get exhausting. And I think it bogs down the movie more than it has to. Um, and eventually some stuff at, at the beginning of the satire, you're, you're like, oh, I understand. That's OK. That's funny. And you laugh at it by the fifth or sixth time. It starts to get corny. Because they're just hammering <laughs> this nail on the head that I feel like they don't keep have, uh, having to do. That be, that's, that's like the, the biggest thing, uh, the biggest discrepancy I have with this film. But it happens enough that it's kind of took me out of it a little bit um, a couple times. Uh, not only that, but I wish it was a little more, I guess, scary in some senses. But 
the tension was high. I'll give them that. The, the tension was high in this movie. There's a lot of good moments. There's a lot of good uh, uh, chemistry between the characters, actually, too. I thought they were doing pretty well with me. And so it was a fine outing. I wish there was just a lot less satire and they just focused on the jokes more. And the jokes didn't have to contain satire the entire movie. Um, they just let black people be because I think that also could have been the blackening. It's just black people <laughs> existing in the movie. You didn't have to keep throwing satire on us. Uh, but I still had a good time uh, watching it. Um, it, it. It was good to be with friends watching uh, a movie like this, man. It really was uh, pretty fun. So, yeah. Yeah, in this day and age, we don't get a terrible amount of satirical movies anymore. And I've brought this point up on previous shows just about the place that satire has within like our current pop culture landscape. I don't know if it really works anymore. I remember when we were speaking about Don't Look Up on Netflix, mm. which is obviously a satirical film. Mm -hmm. And just the failures of that movie and, and the disconnect I think that audience goers had with that with that experience and just in this day and age of social media when we have access to comedic and funny stuff all the time you go on Twitter you go on TikTok and you can see like hilarious stuff and you can see people commenting on these very things all the time and podcasts have blown up all of that sort of I think has removed the elements of importance that satire used to have within movies in particular because Going to see The Blackening, this very much reminded me of what Scary Movie used to be and what that used to represent with, like, mm -hmm. the Wayans brothers, you know, when they were at the height of their filmmaking powers and they were putting out satirical films, really riffing and taking down all genres. But Scary Movie was pretty much the most successful, and it started to examine a lot of the tropes that we had become accustomed to in Scary Movies, not only just for black people, but just in general, especially after the slasher craze of the late 90s. And those movies at that time, they really, really worked until they, you know, sort of ran the formula into the ground. And then you started to get those trash, terrible spinoffs like epic movie and superhero movie, <laughs> all that movie. just teen movie, just terrible shit. Right. And, and so satire and comedy have just not really existed in a, in a really strong, predominant way in such a long time. So The Blackening, I think, is a fresh is a fresh take on examining those different tropes and examining what it's like to be a black person stuck in the middle of a horror film in the modern age. And I enjoyed a lot of the film more than I thought that I would, because going in, I had some low expectations, if I'm being honest, just based off of the trailer and the marketing. But what I will say, I think there's a couple of things that sort of draw back and, 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 and are to the detriment of the blackening. One, the satire and the tropes that are introduced in the script aren't a thousand percent relevant anymore. Mm -hmm. I think that some of the things that they pulled from have been conversations that we've seen on so social media and on Twitter that we've talked about. We've talked about the the relationship between living single and friends. Like that stuff has been brought up a thousand right. times over, right? Mm -hmm. But we know that current horror, especially black horror, sort of occupies a new space. It's more psychological. It's more centered on generational trauma. It, it, it's the Jordan Peele effect of what we've seen in movies. Right. And the blackening doesn't necessarily tackle a lot of that stuff all the time. And I think that that was a huge missed opportunity just because there's so much commentary that could be said about what we're focusing on as black artists in today's landscape in terms of horror films, psychological films, all these different experiences that we go to see. The second thing that's a drawback, the blackening, while I enjoyed certain moments and elements of it, it's just not funny or scary enough. Like it's not either, mm -hmm. it's not, it doesn't do either of those things enough. I think it could have been scarier and it could have been funnier and I don't want to give anything away, but if you look at the tagline in the poster for this movie, it says, we can't all die first. And that very idea sort of takes away some of the emotional 
tension and stakes that I think could have could have really benefited this film just because mm-hmm. there are certain choices that are made, which, you know, I, I, I somewhat like, but there are certain choices that are made that that ultimately prevented from becoming and stepping over that that line to be to to to, to you know, sort of enter into a new gear to, to to really, you know, pump up the action, the the tension all the threats that that loom in the background. I think that it could have used a little bit more of that. But because of the design of this film and what they were setting out to do, they were kind of prevented from doing that. And so I think that that might have harmed it in the long run. But all that being said, I have to agree that seeing this with other people is the benefit of, of watching a movie like this. You will have more fun. You will hear and notice things that, again, we've talked about on social media many times over. We've seen these conversations come up. And the writing is, is actually kind of witty at, at particular moments mm-hmm. throughout the film. I actually do want to shout out Tracy Oliver and Dwayne Perkins. Like, a lot of the writing worked for me more so than I thought it would. And Dwayne Perkins has, you know, a, a good track record of working on a variety of different projects. And so him being so closely tied to this while also being one of the stars of the film. And you can look at all just these different vantage points, like who's the blackest, you know? And if you're, if you're the blackest person, then you got to die or the gay best friend or the relationship that ended on mm-hmm. some real toxic shit. And now they come back together or you got the quote unquote loud friend who's just going to always inject humor to try to levy, you know, uh, provide some levity to the situation. I think all those things really work for, but uh, a lot of it is kind of, you know, sort of, it's, it's kind of pulling away from just the tension that you would want to have as a part of a horror film and also just like the relevancy of what they're talking about isn't always there. I think that there's more more relevant material that they probably could have injected into the movie and actually mm-hmm. added to the story to have a, a little bit more of a fruitful conversation about just like the state of black horror and characters and all that stuff. So ultimately, pretty successful. I think it works for, for the most part. Um, I would be interested to see other projects like this, though. I think that there is room for this. Yeah. There is space to have more opportunities to talk about these different types of things to examine these topics and to do so in a comedic way because everything doesn't always have to be so serious Mm -hmm. and i actually do appreciate the blackening for providing some levity just to this whole conversation as it exists in our current pop culture landscape so folks those are all of our thoughts about the new film the blackening if you've checked out this movie definitely hit us up and let us know what you think and with that being said, we're going to transition and talk about our next film this week we have to review the 11th feature film from writer director wes anderson Asteroid City. You're not here. We're not there. The car exploded. Come get the girls. I have to stay here with Woodrow. I'm not the chauffeur. I'm the grandfather. Where are you? Asteroid City. Farm Route 6, Mile 75. Junior stargazers and space cadets. Each year we celebrate Asteroid Day. Commemorating September 23rd, 3007 B.C., when the arid plains meteorite made Earth impact. Holy Toledo, that's Mitch Campbell. You're very good in the one about the tramp in the brothel who gets amnesia and becomes a pediatrician. You were very awesome. Actually, maybe my favorite character I've ever seen. I don't know why nobody else liked it. Oh. What do those pulses indicate? What? Oh, the beeps and blips? We don't know. Some of our information about outer space may no longer be completely accurate. Anyway, there's still only nine planets in the solar system as far as we know, Billy. Except now there's an alien. What's happening now? I don't know. I don't like the way that guy looked at us. The alien. How did he, how did he look? Like we're doomed. Maybe we are. I've just informed the president. How long can they keep us in Asteroid City legally? The world will never be the same. That's an alien doing jumpy jacks. That's an alien in a top hat. What's out there? The meaning of life. Maybe there is one. Are you married? I'm a widower. But don't tell my kids. You're saying her mother died three weeks ago. Let's say she's in heaven. Which doesn't exist for me, of course, but you're Episcopalian. 
In my loneliness, I learned to give complete and unquestioning faith to the people I love. I don't know if that includes you, but it included my daughter and your four children. Sometimes I think I feel more at home outside the Earth's atmosphere. Oh, wow. Me too. They're strange, aren't they? They're children. Compared to normal people. Yes, that's correct. It's true. Freight train, freight train, going so fast. Freight train, freight train, going so fast. I don't... I do a nude scene. You want to see it? Huh? Did I say yes? You didn't say anything. Uh, I meant yes. My, my mouth didn't speak. Now, as I mentioned, this movie is written and directed by Wes Anderson, and it's starring an ensemble cast of Jason Schwartzman, Scarlett Johansson, Tom Hanks, Jeffrey Wright, Tilda Swinton, Brian Cranston, Edward Norton, Adrian Brody, Lee Schreiber, Hope Davis, Stephen Park, Rupert Friend, Maya Hawke, Steve Carell, Matt Dillon, Hong Chow, Willem Dafoe, Margot Robbie, Tony Revolori, Jake Ryan, and Jeff Goldblum. That was a mouthful. There's a lot of people a part of this movie. As we know, Wes Anderson loves to do. He loves to stack out his casts. But Wes Anderson, man, he's been around for a long time now. This is his 11th movie. He's coming off of the French Dispatch. I reviewed that a couple of years ago on the pod. Gotta admit, wasn't a huge fan of it. It might be my least favorite Wes Anderson film, and I'm a big, big fan of Wes Anderson. But the space that he occupies in this current landscape is really interesting because I think Wes Anderson is a director that does not stray away from his style at mm-hmm. all. He very much adheres to what has brought him to the dance. He has very specific creative choices that he makes, and he doesn't really deviate from that stuff at all. And Asteroid City is no exception, but this is a new movie that has just an incredible cast, an interesting premise, and we got a chance to go check this out a couple of weeks ago. So with all of that out the way, man, I'll pass it over to you. What did you think about Asteroid City? Dude, I still have not seen French Dispatch. Crazy. I, like, skipped the Wes Anderson movie. It's wild. But I was still pretty excited to see Asteroid City. There are some Wes Anderson classics, man. If you haven't done like a at least mini Wes Anderson deep dive, just take some time and go watch his stuff, man. He really is a, a, a beast. But like you said, he knows why he's here. <laughs> he knows how he got here. He knows, like you said, what brought him to the dance, what got him into this filmmaking position and being the legend that Wes Anderson is. And I think Asteroid City is of it doesn't stray too far from that i don't think i think he he uh, uh a lot of the film he is um he still has that aesthetic he still has the colors like you said he still has the cast and all of that is still here man um but it's an enjoyable movie it is it it's not great it's not knock your socks off great it's probably not top five Wes anderson but it is something to watch and i think one of the reasons to watch it is i, I really like jason schwarzman in this movie I think he does a, a good job, and I really uh, enjoyed his performance. Not only that, but Wes Anderson always has played on comedy. But something about this movie, I just kept chuckling. I don't know. There were just so many little moments in this movie. It's like, dude, that's pretty funny. And that's funny, too. So the comedy was carrying a decent amount for me um, in this film as well. There's also a big scene that Wes Anderson throws in this movie with, like, a ton of characters that's crazy. <laughs> and it is it's, it's just really cool to see. Um, and it's also kind of bonkers and I really enjoyed that stuff as well, man. But this dude, Wes Anderson, I think, uh, uh, I don't, it's something about Asteroid City that I'm happy that he, that, that Wes Anderson is kind of, I don't know if back is the word cause French Dispatch just came out, but I'm happy that he's still making films, but it's something about it that still felt, uh, uh, I guess at home to me a little bit because Wes Anderson is so, he, he feels so, um, 
I guess, uh, uh, stagnant. It feels like a staple in the in, in, in cinema. So it's good uh, to see that this movie even came out in the first place. But it's a delightful film. Um, I think I think anybody who's already a Wes Anderson f- fan will like the movie. I don't know if people who don't know much about Wes Anderson will appreciate it that much, to be honest. Like, thinking about it, like, I don't know if they'll watch it and, be, and say, I get it, you know, before going through the Wes Anderson, like, Grand Budapest. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if they'll understand it. And I think that could be a problem. But as somebody who is a Wes Anderson uh, fan already, it was a fine showing for Wes Anderson. Again, I, uh, uh, I don't love it, but I don't hate it. It's, 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 uh, but I did like it. And so I'm hoping uh, uh, maybe uh, that, I don't know, man, that people will, I guess, enjoy it the way I enjoy it. But I'm not sure that that, w- that will be the case. So we'll have to see, man. And, and, and hopefully it was better than the first dispatch for you. So Asteroid City, it's it's an interesting premise. So this is another period piece similar to The French Dispatch, which was framed and constructed as more of an anthology film. Asteroid City is sort of taking place in, in, in a fictional universe. We're opening up the film, basically setting it in the 1950s, where we have a TV host played by Brian Cranston. He's introducing this in-universe fictional town called Asteroid City. And we're examining the the playwright who actually wrote this this particular story. We're seeing the behind the scenes machinations of what that looks like. But then most of the film, which takes place in Asteroid City, is basically that film come to life. And so we get to see how everything unfolds. And so really interesting premise there. I like the whole setup and I thought that that was really cool. And it's an inventive way to get a lot of people a part of your film because we know that this cast, like many of its films, is just hugely stacked. And overall, I really, really enjoyed Asteroid City. This is a big, big step up for me personally from the French Dispatch, which didn't totally work. I felt that the Wes Anderson style, which has made him so famous and, and made him so celebrated as a director, started to really, really work against him. And, and it didn't necessarily start with the French Dispatch because I know that there are detractors of Wes Anderson who have noticed these trends and patterns well before that movie. They mm-hmm. might have noticed it back in the mid-2000s when they saw that, oh, wow, it's like his fifth film. And he's still doing the exact same mm-hmm. thing. He's still using this really specific color palette, these pastel colors, the rigid framing, the the hundreds and hundreds of details that are in every single shot that you can't even notice unless you pause the frame, the deadpan humor. All of that stuff makes Wes Anderson who he is as a director. And he's received a lot of criticisms over the years for never deviating from that style, which I think is fair. Mm-hmm. And also, in conjunction with that fact, it alienates a big group of people. You know, if you just don't pick up with the style, if you don't really find yourself connecting with his characters because they are pretty surface level and he doesn't ever really let you in emotionally, then that's going to be a difficult experience for some people. For me, I've been watching Wes Anderson for for such a long time now. I know exactly what to expect going into a movie of right. his because I know that he's never going to break that formula that he's established. But even with that formula, even with the things that have made him so celebrated over the years, I still think that he finds and manages to do things just a little bit different enough to make it an interesting experience and asteroid city was that for me because it is a period piece because you do have this really gorgeous setting that's taking place in this desert landscape we're examining all sorts of different things because you get that juxtaposed against like the 50s backdrop play setting of a a tv show or of a of a theatrical experience you know watching a, a a theater play unfold there's also an element of young science and astronomy that's incorporated. Mm-hmm. There's UFOs and aliens. There's thoughts and conversations about nuclear power and the atomic bomb. Like there's a lot going on here 
and don't Wes never really taps into a lot of it all that deeply. He's not really known to do that. He never dives into things too mm-hmm. deeply. It's mostly experience an experience that's meant to be viewed. I don't want to say passively, but again, we're just sort of witnessing and watching things unfold. And, and many of the characters here are still adhering to that Wes Anderson style. They're delivering their lines in a very deadpan way. You don't really know how to feel about them because they could be telling a joke or they can be completely fucking serious mm-hmm. half the time. You just don't necessarily know. But Jason Schwartzman, he's outstanding here. He's a longtime collaborator of Wes Anderson. He obviously made his name with Rushmore all those years back um, in the in the late 90s. And so it's great to see him back in a central role here because he's mostly been playing supporting roles in Wes Anderson films since that time. I also thought Scarlett Johansson was really good here as well. She's sort of the the co-lead of the film along with Jason Schwartzman. I thought that she had some some pretty good emotional depth. And then you have the, the, the entire supporting cast, which there's really no other director or there's very few directors, I should say, in Hollywood where you have some of the most famous people on earth who will just literally show up for eight minutes of a Wes Anderson part just to read a couple mm-hmm. of lines. Like not many directors have that type of cachet and we know they're not going to make that much money. They're just really doing it to work with him and to have that experience of being a collaborator of his. And so you got to respect the man for being able to pull out just the best and brightest talent that Hollywood has to offer. Nice. I also really like Jeffrey Wright in this one too. He's super funny and he has a lot of lines that are delivered very, very well. He has to do so in a very serious tone. And I think that he actually stands out here. So overall, once again, I think that it, it, it definitely is a step up for Wes in comparison to the French dispatch. I do want to rewatch that at some point. Maybe, maybe okay. to feel differently about it. Maybe, maybe it'll reveal something to me. But overall, I'm happy with it. I think that it's a good outing. But I'll end it off and say I totally agree with you that if you are not a fan of Wes Anderson or not a advent viewer of his movies, this is not going to necessarily win you over. This is going to be a movie that you just look mm-hmm. at and say like, well, what, what's the point of this? Like, it's boring. <laughs> it doesn't really connect with me. I don't know anything about any any of these people. But if you've been here for the ride, if you know the type of filmmaker that he is, I think that this is mostly an enjoyable experience. So, folks, those are all of our thoughts on Asteroid City. If you've checked out Wes Anderson's new movie, hit us up and let us know what you think. And with that being said, we're going to actually pivot and talk about a film that just recently released on Netflix, the sequel to the 2020 smash hit Extraction 2. Tyler, you were clinically dead nine months ago. But you survived. You fought your way back. You just have to find out why. We got a contract. You were the client's request. Tyler? Getting you out of here, okay? 
I'm gonna find the reason I fought my way back. Let's find out. Now, this movie is directed by Sam Hargrave, and it's written by Joe Russo, and it's starring Chris Hemsworth, Golshiftev Farahani, Adam Bessa, Olga Kurilenko, Daniel Bernhardt, Tenetin, Dalakishvili, and Idris Elba. So Extraction, when it came out in 2020, became this huge smash hit on Netflix. It was one of their most viewed films ever. Chris Hemsworth, obviously, huge A-list actor mm-hmm. coming off of the Thor films. He was fresh off of Avengers Endgame at that point. And the Russo brothers, simultaneously, were fresh off of their stint with the MCU. They were starting to transition into doing more producerial work. And Extraction 2 was one of their first films they re- that they released directly after the uh, release of Avengers Endgame. And when that movie came out on Netflix, it was actually quite a surprise. People that listen to the show know I'm not necessarily a huge fan of Netflix movies, but... Extraction 2 was a, or excuse me, Extraction 1 was a solid B-level action movie. I thought that it was a pretty enjoyable experience. It had a very, very impressive action sequence mm-hmm. in the middle of the film, which lasted like 12 minutes. It's like a one-shot sequence. All that stuff really, really worked for me, and Chris Chris Hemsworth was mostly good in it. I think that he showed up and did what he needed to do. He proved himself to be uh, a viable action star outside of the, the comic book franchise that, that that really made him famous with Thor. And so I was looking forward to Extraction 2, um, and it just released this past week on Netflix. I'll start and just give my thoughts here on the movie in a second, but I just kind of want to get your thoughts and your reaction to Extraction 1 and also just your expectations coming, to, coming into Extraction 2 and if they were met or delivered or not with this new film. Yeah, so Extraction 1, man, um, I actually just watched it for the first time recently, maybe a month ago, knowing that Extraction 2... Uh, was was about to come out and I, I i was pretty excited to watch it one because the hype <laughs> obviously it just, it's been something i had been putting off for a while but i was still pretty excited to watch it and knowing that chris hemsworth you look at the dude of course he could be some kind of crazy action military star right it's like yeah the dude has everything it takes and after watching that film i think i was surprised by the action in the film for sure i was like oh this is what people were talking about with extraction. I have to the story. I ain't gonna. I did not care about at all. I I barely cared about the story, but the action, I was pretty here for man. Um, and and also I think the movie's like just like a little too long, probably because I don't care about the story. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, why are we here so long? Uh, so yeah, that's kind of how how I'm, I am. I came uh into extraction too. Is just kind of really being excited. Uh, to see more action and could they approve upon it could they make the story better could they make the action even more crazy than it was in that first one because netflix like you said we know it's hard to trust netflix with a lot of movies nowadays what can they do that's going to say okay i'm happy i watched that and so that that's definitely my expectations coming into extraction too yeah absolutely and and with that being said i have to say that extraction 2 pretty much delivers a mirrored experience to Extraction 1. It's it's pretty much the same exact sentiments that you just shared, that it is absolutely thin on story, but the action, it's damn near A-plus across the board. This movie does manage to take it up a notch and does kick it into another gear because whereas the first movie had a 12-minute one-shot scene, 
This one has a 21-minute one-shot scene, <laughs> which is absolutely incredible. And to be honest with y'all, if you're listening to this, I'm pretty much just going to judge the movie on that sequence alone. There's not really much else to talk about. But when it comes to that 21-minute action sequence, it is fucking amazing. Yes. It is absolutely wonderful to see them executed in such a great way. Surprisingly, a lot of it is achieved practically. You know, they actually utilized mm. like 400 extras. There's definitely some real set pieces there. There's a lot of practical action. It's not just all CGI. Of course, you have to have visual effects to help aid in, in, in the execution of something so grand and so spectacular. But the way that they meticulously planned it and crafted it, it's actually quite a sight to see. They talked about with the script writing stage that once it was put to page, they had about five months to plan out that sequence. Ooh. And they knew they knew the type of pressure that they were under to deliver something that was going to really live up to what we saw in the first movie. And man, I got to say that they absolutely delivered. It starts off in a prison break sequence. It ends up in a prison courtyard, like something out of The Raid 2. You got a train sequence as well. People are on top of trains, helicopters, machine guns, explosions. It's so much going down, and it was hard to catch my breath because I'm like, wow, this is still going. You don't realize how long 21 minutes is <laughs> until you just sit there, and you're really clocking for it because I knew it was 21 minutes going into it. But it was great. It was fantastic. The unfortunate thing about it is that it's in literally like the first 30 first minutes hour. of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> like the mm -hmm. first hour, 45. Mm -hmm. So it peaks early. It peaks extremely early. The rest of the movie doesn't quite live up to those standards. And there's still some other good action in the in the second and third act of the film it does still work for the most part as you continue to carry through the story but because we just know that this is a is a very thin story to begin with and this is just, just meant to be an enjoyable b-level action movie there's not much to keep you invested in terms of a character perspective but you know what i'm okay with that because sometimes that's all we really need this definitely feels like an old school 80s action movie where the action and the testosterone and all that stuff is the focus. Like, we're focused on the bullets and the explosions. Like, I don't really care that much about story. I could use a little bit more. I do yeah. think that there's room to have a little bit more of that. We know that that's capable and, and, and something you can shoot for when you have movies like John Wick or the Mission Impossible series. Like, those have pretty decent stories to them. So I do think that they have room to grow and improve there. But ultimately, I think the action is really what elevates this experience. Yeah, I have to agree. To be honest, bro, I've only seen the first hour. I have not finished this movie yet. But Oh, just stop. No need to finish. I'm good. Just go ahead and just, <laughs> yeah, you're good. You got but everything I, you I, needed. I feel like I've already done it because, man, one thing I really, really love about, uh, I guess, newer action, what makes John Wick so good and all of those things, what makes John Wick so good is I think they're able to establish a world, right, that we, are, we can all say, oh, there's lore here. Sure, we know everyone's here for John Wick for the action, but there's something else lingering in the background. And Extraction doesn't exactly have that. And I think that is the, 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 the piece that's missing. But what it does have is this action that is... I, I, that's, this 21-minute scene is definitely a step up. That's like the one step up, I feel like, from, from the previous film. And I, I, it's, it's really good, y'all. Like, there was... There was a moment. You say this is like 80s action movies. There's a moment where they're like, but they're killers. And Chris Hemsworth goes, I am too. And then <laughs> somebody dies. That's all you need to know. So I was like, oh, yeah, this is what I'm here for. It's like it's it's like they understood the assignment in the 21 minutes versus like sometimes the rest of the film is like, I don't think y'all get it. But for some reason, these moments, y'all understand why y'all here. Um, I absolutely love one shot action. It's something about it. I 
Jordan knows when stuff cuts too much, it makes me mad. Like, I'm like, why are we cutting over and over? It's like Catwoman basketball, like, cuts. <laughs> I'm like, why, why are we cutting? And extraction, they kind of, I think they understood that one-shot action is fire. They just they understood that. And they executed, and it looks good. And it's not just like, it's not just Chris Hemsworth running through a tunnel. You know what I'm saying? Like you said, there's bikes and trains or trains and machine guns and helicopters. It's crazy. It really is. And I have to applaud them for that because I low-key want to go watch it again. That's how crazy it is. I'm like, damn, this is some good action. I just wish the movie around it was as good as the action is. But like you said, we don't need that. We I think they I think they understood what they got with Extraction One and said, okay, let's turn it up. And I think they did a little bit. And so for that man, I'm I'm here for it. Uh and I I'm having a blast. I had a blast watching it. Um and and I don't know what'll come out of this, if anything will come out of this, to be honest, but I'm happy they did it, man, because they 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 like you said, that's some A plus action they had coming out of Extraction Two. And yeah, I applaud them for it. Perhaps they should just consider releasing like short films, like 30 minute short films and just doing like yes. <laughs> nonstop action. Like maybe that's all we need because we don't necessarily need a two hour, a two plus hour movie at this particular turn. But uh, again, they do have something to aspire to because we have seen other movies and other franchises achieve that balance really successfully, I would say. And so uh, I think there, again, is room to grow with the Extraction franchise because they're clearly going to do more of these. But they got the action down. They certainly they, they they know what they're doing and they're they're meticulously crafting it to be some of the best that we've get that we've gotten, you know, over the past couple of years. So very, very excited to see hopefully what they do in the future. But folks, those are all of our thoughts on Extraction 2. If you've checked out this movie on Netflix, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. And with that being said, we're going to transition and talk about the 27th feature film from Pixar Animation Studios that just dropped in theaters, Elemental. Meet the residents of Element City. Air usually has their head in the clouds. Oh, my new jacket. Earth can be a little seedy. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing weird going on here. Uh, Just a little pruning. Water is always getting into something. (gasps) Help! And fire? As ordered, we run a little hot. This shop is dream of our family. Someday it'll all be yours. But we all live by one simple rule. Elements cannot mix. A pipe squished me all out of shape. Dang. That's better. Oh. So you've never left Firetown? Sorry, buddy. Elements don't mix. Plus, my dad would boil you alive. Why does anyone get to tell you what you can do in your life? Come on! Why do they even have these? Eh, who knows. Watch this! Whoa! Ember, I see a change in you. Water guy? You live here? It's my mom's place. We got two kids that are swimming around here somewhere. Orca, follow! (laughs) I've been trying to fill my father's shoes, but I never once asked what I wanted to do. (laughs) 
Try this. Dad, those are too hot. I love hot food. You see? He likes it. <laughs> <laughs> Now, this movie is directed by Peter Sohn, and it's written by John Hoberg, Kat Lickle, and Brenda Shway, and it's starring Leah Lewis, Mamadou Ati, Ronnie Del Carmen, Sheila Ami, Wendy McLendon-Covey, and Catherine O'Hara. So, Elemental is coming on the heels of Pixar's most recent effort, which was about a year ago, in fact, Lightyear, and previously before Lightyear was also Turning Red. 2022 was sort of a mixed so-so year for Pixar, I would say. Turning Red was very successful. Many, many people really loved that movie and enjoyed it. It became one of the most watched on Disney+. Lightyear was not so successful. Unfortunately, it ended up being one of their biggest financial losses that they've ever sustained from a theatrical film, and people just didn't really connect with Lightyear. I think that mm -hmm. the difficulties of trying to take a character that's so beloved in the Toy Story universe and making him real and sort of making him like a science fiction superhero, it just didn't work for people. And so it was going to be really interesting to see what the follow-up was going to be for Pixar coming this year with Elemental. And we know that Disney as a company, especially Pixar, has been on somewhat rocky ground over the past couple of years. The pandemic, I think, has certainly forced them to take a back step. And, and, and they're, they're sort of fighting from behind at this particular point. So I was curious and interested to see what Elemental was going to do in terms of alleviating that. But I will let you go first. What did you think about the new Pixar film, Elemental? Man, you know, I was excited for this movie. This is one of the films <laughs> that I picked um, in, in our summer draft. Uh, I was really betting on Pixar, man, because they've just been going through a lot. Um, and not even necessarily critically. We know you just talked about Lightyear, but financially too and now elemental is like what the worst outing for any pixar movie ever it's crazy it's really sad uh i think to see um but regarding the movie man it is just it just wasn't for me maybe i don't know that's crazy to say because usually this movie would would be i love animation and i love rom-coms and i feel like putting the two together i should have had a great time but to be honest and to put it quite frank I was just bored. <laughs> I was just bored. Um, and it's it's I I have I have to give them a little bit of points for taking some kind of risk, right? Because how 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 often have you seen just a straight rom com and that's animated? You know, anime fills that space. Intergalactic that we just reviewed not too long ago filled that space. But here we go. Pixar was kind of trying to fill this space too, and I just found myself. Again, just being bored. Maybe, maybe I'm not the age demographic. So, something else that usually coming into a Pixar film, outside of story elements and all of that, I'm excited about the animation, and it's something now that I feel like Pixar used to be the the people always pushing the envelope. Pixar used to always be the people that's like, dang, that looks really good. In fact, I even remember talking about Lightyear, and though Lightyear isn't perfect, Lightyear looks pretty goddamn good to me. Elemental doesn't feel like that. Elemental fits this weird realm that it's almost like if we were to make an Inside Out 2 that came out over, what, 10 years ago now? It's not a much step up from that to me. And I was watching it like this feels the same vein. And I wanted it to be different. I love the idea of elements. I love the idea of the, our two main characters being in love, but they can't touch each other. That's a really cool premise to me. 
But the beats that the story is just hitting was just so boring. I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm I'm, I'm being too hard. I, to be honest, I I do want to watch it again with like a different, just a different time, <laughs> different time of day, a little bit removed from across the Spider Verse. You know what I'm saying? Like, let me let me go chill out for a little bit and come back to it. But for right now, man. It was just boring, and that's really all I have to say about it. Like it, I I just wished it was pushing the envelope. Like to me, Turner Red did something different. Uh, uh, Soul did something different. You know what I mean? But now we're here, and it's like you you did something different, but not with the same soul. I know that lack of a better term. It it didn't have the same goosebye that I feel like those other movies did, and so it it was just disappointing going into it. I just expected a little bit more, but. Who knows? I'll check it out uh, again at some point, and maybe my mind will change. I'll just start and say that I don't have much to add because this is one of Pixar's worst outings for me. This just does not work on really any level, and to walk out of a Pixar film saying that is just quite the disappointment. I will be honest and say that the past few years of Pixar outings overall haven't really worked for me either with Mm -hmm. the exception of turning red i even think soul like i love the first act of soul but then i think it kind of falls off of a cliff after that Mm -hmm. and then you have other movies like luca which i don't even remember anything about luca and lightyear which i didn't love and onward like there are just a lot of forgettable experiences that just aren't connecting with me anymore and now with elemental this absolutely has slotted itself into being one of the most forgettable and one of the least enjoyable movies that I've watched come from that studio. And it is mind-boggling boring. I was so just anxious to be finished with this movie (laughs) because there was not really any point in which I bought into the story, in which I bought into the characters, or even the world that they developed because they did create a new world, uh, an an, an element-based world, right? Mm -hmm. And you think that that would be something to pull you in and and to attract you to what they're trying to do and trying to achieve with the story. But it just doesn't because it just feels so cookie cutter and almost unoriginal, which is very weird to say because they haven't created a world quite like this before. But Pixar has created a lot of worlds. They've done Mm -hmm. this countless times over. And this just falls incredibly short of, I think, the high watermark that they've said in previous movies. And I, I just don't really understand creatively what's necessarily happening over there. I do know that in terms of the filmmakers behind a lot of these re- recent projects, Peterson included because he also directed one of my other least favorite Pixar movies, The Good Dinosaur, seven years ago. A lot more of these Pixar films are becoming more personal to the filmmakers that are that are crafting them, which is okay in, 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 in the conception of that. But I think in the delivery of that idea, when you have something that is so personal to the filmmaker and maybe they're even pulling from their own life experiences like Peter Son is doing for this movie because he's talking about the immigrant experience and living in New York Mm -hmm. City and growing up amongst all these different communities. I don't know if that's just connecting. I don't know if that's really working for me. And perhaps it is working for this current generation just because that's often the conversation that many people are having anyway, especially as it relates to the stuff that they consume from film and TV and social media and all these other things. And so perhaps it is working for a lot of people of a younger generation. For me, coming from the previous generation that discovered Pixar, that was around when Thanks. they launched with Toy Story, it's just not connecting. And, and 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 maybe that is just a harsh realization that the movies that they are making, at least in the current era, are just not for me. And so I have to come to grips with that. Mm-hmm. Personally, 
outside of that, still judging it for a movie and for a theatrical going experience, I just didn't enjoy it. That's just the fact of it. And regardless of whether or not it's it's made for me or if I'm the target demographic or maybe I'm just not maybe I'm just not prepared and ready to shift with the with the updated themes that they're trying to tackle and just the story structure that they've implemented in their recent movies. It could be all of that, mm-hmm. but I'm still going to talk about the movie in the way that I want to talk about it and it just didn't work for me. It just didn't it didn't deliver on what I wanted it to. It didn't make me happy. There was nothing really memorable about it. I didn't laugh once because there was a little <laughs> bit of comedy. I didn't laugh not one time in this film and and the romance and the and the central story here between the two characters. I just never bought into it. And so mm-hmm. I ultimately left really 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 disappointed at the experience we've kind of talked about this before i think it's necessary to bring it up again the state of pixar in the animation landscape and also just the state of disney because they also have their other animation studio walt disney animation there have just been a lot of for lack of a better term misfires just many of their movies are not performing in the way that they used to you know it was it was it was once just the status quo for a pixar movie to come out or even a Disney animation movie to come out and just make all the money. Sometimes just knock it out of the park easy, make a billion dollars. That is no longer the case. I think a lot of that is due to the fact that audiences and families in particular have been trained to stay home to watch these new animated movies. They're not really going out to theaters to see this anymore due to the pandemic. But outside of like the financial prospects, creatively, what do you make about just the current state of where they are? Because I think by and large, many of these movies aren't connecting in the way that a lot of fans, especially long-term fans of Pixar, will like to see them work. And, and, and I think that that's you know, partially attributed to the fact of why we're seeing live-action remakes and, and adaptations of animated movies that have just like come out. We just heard about Moana, you know, which came out yeah. like six years ago. And mm-hmm. they're going to make it into live-action. So I don't know. Where, where do you stand creatively with just like Pixar and Disney as a whole and just like their, their animation outputs? Man, I think it's it's... It's crazy because every time, you know, Bob Iger or whoever the CEO is, it's always how can we turn out more content? How can we push this stuff out? And man, I'm looking I'm looking at the list of Disney movies right now. I I reviewed Strange World on this podcast. Since Strange World, Disney has put out tw- 12 movies if you count all the way up to Hunted Mansion. So that's including that's including Guardians, Indiana Jones, like uh, uh, Little Mermaids in here, Peter Pan and Wendy, <laughs> Ant-Man, Quantumania, like 10, 12 movies since in like Strange, eight months. In like eight months is crazy for any studio. Of course, we know some of those, that's Marvel Studios over here, Pixar Studios. It's still the, the idea that Disney is turning out a lot of content. They got to stop, man. You got to slow down. Because I feel like it's hurting them even more. For Elemental to be the worst Pixar opening weekend ever has to tell you something. Something's not right. Something pump the brakes. Pump the <laughs> brakes. Everybody stop. Something isn't right. I agree with you. Every movie that you just brought up, Pixar, in the last whatever, like last six movies you just said, are not touching the first 10 years of Pixar at all. It's not even close. Toy Story 1 came out, broke the world. Somehow they came out with a sequel and broke the world again with Toy Story 2. Toy Story 3 also, like, and that's just one franchise. We're not talking about Incredibles or A Bug's Life or Wally or I don't know what's happening. I don't know what has happened to Pixar, but it's time to slow down, reevaluate. Pixar, you're getting cooked. Disney, you're getting cooked. You're getting cooked. Illumination, Sony. 
Illumination and Sony are they they own they're owning Disney right now in the in the in the animation landscape. They're owning them. It's not close. It's not close. These minion movies hitting bills and close to bills and in their sleep, they can just put out a movie and it's going to make a billion. Like, they don't even have to think about it. And it's the most simplistic story and movie possible. Like, you can't get more simple than the Minions movies. You but they, they work. People go see them. Because they're funny. I love the Minions. They're funny. You watch them and and they just have they have gold in their hands. So they, they're milking it. Don't get me wrong. They are milking it. But it's like, at least they're decent movies, too, at the same time. And I feel like they know what they have. But even that, even then, thinking about that. It's one property. Pixar, Pixar's just struggling, man. I don't know. They they need to figure it out. I uh, and I think I think it really just starting with, with turning down uh, these movies that come they coming out with, man. Like as we just talked about, P- you, Peter Pan and Wendy. Why'd y'all make that? Imagine if everybody who wasn't on work in Peter Pan and Wendy maybe helped you on freaking Elemental. I don't know. Just like I don't know. Figure it out. It's 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 time. It's time to slow down and stop turning out so many movies. Qu- quality needs to be over quantity and it's like they didn't get it at first but hopefully this is like the the ding moment for them like the the bell over the head because it's 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 really getting sad out here yeah the decline has been steady and precipitous and 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 it's alarming especially when you just see this trend really settling in and 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 a, a part of it does have to be attributed to the leadership change as well you know pete doctor is the chief creative officer now he took over for John Lasseter a few years ago. John Lasseter, you know, this is what I'll say. He's a very problematic figure, has a lot of a lot of criticisms you can you can oh, you yeah. know sort of throw at that man and, and certain stuff that he did that is just completely unacceptable and gross. But during his particular tenure was the golden era of Pixar. You know, he was the the, the creative force behind a lot of that, that stuff, especially with the Toy Story movies. Pete Doctor is a great filmmaker. He's mm-hmm. made, I think, some of the best Pixar movies like Inside Out. You know, he's really, really good at that or Monsters, Inc. But mm-hmm. as the creative force behind these things and being the leader, you know, sort of thrown into the into the position that he's in leading this huge, huge company, something just has not worked and has not clicked over these past few years. And uh, it isn't just him. I'm not I'm not here to throw all the responsibility on him by any means, because there there are forces above him that have certainly impacted this as well that I alluded to earlier, just with the output and just increasing the overall content creation. You talk about movies alone. Let's not forget that once Disney Plus was created, Mm -hmm. now Pixar was charged with making television series and and, and additional shorts like that Mm -hmm. added to the workload as well. So it's not just even about the movies. They have to create so many different stories all the time. And yes, they have a really, really large bench and they have a lot of filmmakers that they work with. But at the same time, you do have to wonder and suspect that maybe they're just stretched too too thin. And we've seen that same exact thing happen with Marvel, which we talk about all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think we're experiencing very, very similar effects because when you look over across town and you see what Universal and Illumination are doing with Minions or the Super Mario Brothers movies, they're the king of the world. And then even creatively, DreamWorks Every movie that they put out isn't always necessarily the biggest box office smash, but they're really, really good movies. Good. Most of the time, they're actually good quality movies. They're memorable. They make me actually want to watch them again. And Sony Animation, like you said, they have a phenomenal win with the Spider-Verse series. And so uh, they, they, they got to really reevaluate what the next five years looks like for them. Um, I, I will give them credit for continuing to take swings and developing original stories. Exactly. Because there was a time there where... They were laden with sequels. It was just Toy Story 7, Monsters, Inc. 6, <laughs> Incredibles 5.5. Like, it's like, okay, y'all, can we get some new stories? Hey, Incredibles and 3. 
They, I'm, I'm sure it's around the corner at this point. It has to be. It has to be. We need they a fucking need savior they to come it. get us out this rut. They, they got to. That's why we heard about Toy Story 5 and all these other things. And so, yeah, I, I'm very interested to see what the next few years for Pixar looks like. But we will certainly have to stand by and watch as things unfold. But, folks, those are all of our thoughts on the brand new Pixar film, Elemental. If you checked out this movie, hit us up and let us know what you think. And with that being said, we're going to transition and review our final film for this week, a brand new comedy starring Jennifer Lawrence, No Hard Feelings. Hi. Mind if I touch your wiener? What? Your dog. Stop! Gary! Court order for asset seizures. So they're taking my car? You went radio silent on me. Is that what this is about? Just last night, I thought, I missed that fucker. Is that true? Buongiorno! That's my cousin. Gary, I swear to God, he's my cousin. Mm. He's my second cousin. There's something seriously wrong with you. I'm an Uber driver and I don't have a car. I'm gonna lose my house. You think I chose this? Look at this. Need a car, date our son this summer, and bring him out of his shell before college. In exchange, we'll give you a Buick Regal date, is in quotes. It's gotta be a joke, right? No, have you seen these helicopter parents? I'm surprised they're not gonna fuck them themselves. We've just been so worried about our son. He's going to Princeton in the fall. No, oh, I've heard of it. You know, we tried everything to bring him out of his shell. He doesn't come out of his room, he doesn't talk to girls, he doesn't drink. So when you say date him, do you mean date him or date him? Yes. Date him. Date him hard. Okay. I'll date his brains out. He volunteers at the animal shelter. Hi. Mind if I touch your wiener? What? Your dog. How about I give you a ride home? Um, this isn't the way to my house. It's a shortcut. You're my hostage. What you got down there? Something for me? <laughs> Why? You tried kidnapping me! You're 19, grow up! Kid is unfuckable. Have a drink together. He'll have a Long Island iced tea. This is the worst iced tea I've ever had. Okay, one thing about me, I'm the baddest alive. Dance party. I don't know what to do. I just know my mom would have wanted me to save the house. He's probably just nervous. Why don't you loosen him up? We can go skinny dipping. What about sharks? Men here. Jellyfish? Not the season. It's really the lack of lifeguards. Just get the fuck in here right now. Okay. I'm just a bit of a romantic. He's actually really sweet. The best part about getting older is not giving a fuck what people think. I'm an adult now. I can make my own decisions. That's that's good. You want to savor it. Savor it. Come on, you're getting out of here. You don't belong here. Don't Let's touch me. Get away from her. Stay. Oh, fuck. We should go. Now, this movie is directed by Gene Stupnitsky, and it's written by Gene Stupnitsky and John Phillips, and it's starring Jennifer Lawrence, Andrew Barth Feldman, Laura Benatti, Natalie Morales, and Matthew Broderick. So, No Hard Feelings is uh, coming out at a very interesting time. We don't really get comedies anymore mm -hmm. at the theaters. We don't really get just straight, hard, rated R comedies anymore that that era has kind of left us um many comedies are sort of favored for streaming services they they've pivoted to developing those films particularly for companies like amazon or netflix or whoever else just due to the fact that 
comedies don't cost that much money to make, but you also have to turn a big, big profit in order for it to really make business sense. And we just mm-hmm. have kind of seen over the past few years that they don't really work theatrically anymore. People aren't necessarily going to see comedies in movie theaters. They're, they're, they're pretty much staying home. It's, it's, it's almost similar to what we just talked about with animation, um, but to somewhat of a different degree. But no hard feelings. When we first got wind of this, we saw that it was just a straight hard R, rated R comedy, and it was also going to star Jennifer Lawrence sort of taking on a role that we haven't really seen her do. Jennifer mm-hmm. Lawrence has played a lot of really serious, dramatic roles. We haven't really seen her let loose over the past few years as she's become one of the most well-known actresses. She sort of took a little bit of a turn in Don't Look Up, but she is just going full force with no hard feelings. So with all of that out of the way, man, I will pass it over to you. What did you think about this brand new movie, No Hard Feelings? Man, No Hard Feelings is... I think it's going to do great on streaming when it comes out. I think a lot of people are going to check this out and enjoy themselves. Um, as a theatrical experience, it was just fine, though. It was it was okay. Uh, I definitely laughed <laughs> at some points in time. And I think the, the premise is really interesting. Um, I'm actually just read the premise, so I won't give no spoilers away. On the brink of losing her childhood home, Maddie discovers an intriguing job listing. A wealthy heli- some wealthy helicopter parents are looking for someone to date their introverted 19-year-old son, Percy, before he leaves for college. And to her surprise, Maddie soon discovered the awkward Percy is no sure thing. Um, this, this film has, has a little bit of licorice pizza in it, but it really is this older woman being forced to attempt to, to court and eventually have... Re- Try well at least try to eventually have relations with this young man who is 19 i believe um in the movie and it's 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 very raunchy uh i'll give him that and it it, it is r-rated it feels like a movie i had seen before probably because i did just watch liquor's pizza or something it's but um it's so interesting because you watch jennifer lawrence and you're like dang you have never been like this before who who, why are you like this, Jennifer Lawrence? Uh, I, what I will say, she, this movie does feel familiar in the sense that Jennifer Lawrence is really good at like some of those smaller hometowny kind of movies, like Calls Away and Silver Linings Playbook, and so it does kind of feel give me a little bit of those feelings too. But the 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 comedy and the ratchetness and the rated R, you definitely feel it. You feel the cussing. There's nudity in it. There's there's all kind of uh, suggestive. Uh, uh, concepts it's 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 very uh interesting in that way and so again i i I laughed i thought it was funny but it felt like something i had seen before and it was very predictable for me it was like i know exactly how this movie is going to end in the middle maybe not even the middle like when the movie gets to like the 30 minute mark i was like yep i know exactly what's going to happen yep and then it happened and i was like "Uh uh-huh and so I, I think that took away from it, just knowing, just it being predictable. But I like the idea. I like Jennifer Lawrence stepping out of her shell here completely. Like you said, we kind of got a little bit of uh, a little bit of a look at it and don't look up. But this is really her being unhinged in a character unlike we've seen before. She also looks great. I was like, dang, she looks good in this movie. It's probably the best we've ever seen, especially because she's always kind of lived in a space where like, we like Jennifer Lawrence because she looks normal. <laughs> in here, she was able to like turn turn it up a little bit, and so she looks really good in this movie. Um, and yeah, man, it's it's fine. It's a fine movie, and I think again, I think when it comes out on streaming, whatever platform it ends up on, I think it'll do good, and people are gonna be like, okay, this was a fine. It was it's gonna be an okay movie for them. So it was cool. 
Yeah, we haven't really seen Jennifer Lawrence be this unhinged probably since Silver Linings Playbook in that particular movie, which kind of launched her into a new stratosphere, made her really, really famous alongside The Hunger Games as well. But she was playing a very different type of character. Like that mm -hmm. character is comedic in that movie, but also dealing with a lot of emotional shit. This one here is just kind of like out for herself, super selfish, just wants to achieve her goals and make sure that she can keep her house, which is all fine. You know, many people end up in, in very tough and precarious positions and it makes them just do wild and weird shit. And that's exactly what she has to do. She has to forge this relationship being a 32 year old with a 19 year old boy who's about to go Crazy. off to college. And it creates a, a really interesting dichotomy between those two because he is introverted. He is pretty shy. He doesn't really like to come out of his shell. And he hasn't really had any sexual experiences. And her whole goal is to have sex with him. That's what it's all about. And it becomes, you know, pretty funny at times. And, and, and overall, some of the comedy did work for me. There were times that I definitely laughed. It's certainly, certainly not up there with, with the with the hard rated R comedy that I would like to see, especially mm -hmm. if you go to pay money to see it in movie theaters. It's okay. It, it, it does a decent job at not only establishing their relationship and making you buy into it, but also giving you a few comedic moments. Conversely, though, there are some times where the comedy just falls flat completely. It doesn't work. There were a few moments that felt super forced to me that mm -hmm. didn't totally land that also sort of drug on for a little bit too long. I think the movie could have been tightened up just a little bit. It ran a little bit long, but those things don't detract away from it too much because ultimately watching this, I was never bored. I was never uninterested. I was mm -hmm. at least invested to see how things played out as predictable as they might have been. And what I also will say is that though this is a comedy, there is a little bit more behind it. It's not just it is like it is a complete comedy, but there also is a little bit more in terms of like the character development. Like yeah. we do get to see the younger actor, um, Andrew, who's who's portraying the, 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 the young 19 year old movie in this movie. Like he is dealing with something. He's dealing with parents, you know, who are very protective, who want to just make sure that he is able to succeed, but also make sure that he can come of his own and be be more of a social butterfly. And then Jennifer Lawrence's character, Maddie, she is obviously just dealing with a lot from parental issues and in, in, in the home ownership piece of it. So they are trying to actually add layers to these characters, which I do appreciate. And that's why it does work as well for me, because if I just relied on the comedy alone, mm -hmm. this wouldn't really be a successful movie because I didn't laugh as much as I needed it, as much as I needed to, to make it that memorable. But because they add a few, you know, sort of additional layers and some depth to the characters, it ultimately, it was fine. I, I mostly enjoy myself. And so, I'm very curious to see what Jennifer Lawrence does next because she's she's always working, but she definitely takes her time in between projects and picks them somewhat carefully. And so it'll be it'll be interesting to see if she sticks within the comedy lane or maybe goes back to something a little bit more dramatic. But we will certainly have to see. But folks, those are all of our thoughts on the brand new comedy film. No hard feelings. If you've checked it out in theaters, hit us up and let us know what you think. And with that being said, we're going to transition and talk about the news of the week. We got a couple of important things to cover really quickly here. The first being a follow-up to an item that we previously brought up a few weeks ago, and that was the casting for Superman Legacy. That's the new James Gunn film, which is going to kickstart his brand new DC universe in 2025. We previously talked about some of the rumors that we were hearing in terms of casting and who was actually in sort of the front-running position to be the titular character of Superman, but also Lois Lane as well. And we saw reports that were saying that they were going to hold the final casting calls in the past couple of weeks here. And they did indeed do so. And in fact, James Gunn, Warner Brothers DC, they have found their next Superman and they have also found their next Lois Lane. David Cornsweet, known for his role in Netflix as the politician, will be taking on the role of Clark Kent Superman and Rachel Brosnahan coming fresh off 
of finishing up the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Prime Video will be taking up the mantle of Lois Lane. So those are our first two official casting announcements. Of course, we'll probably hear about other cast additions over the next few months as they continue to develop the film. We still don't know who the villain's going to be. We don't necessarily know what the story is really going to be. But James Gunn has finished the script, and so they do know kind of the direction that they're going to go in. But we got our Lois and Clark, David Cornsweet. Rachel Brosnahan, how do you feel about this? Does it make you excited? And and ultimately, how do you think that they'll they'll work out in terms of their chemistry with each other? Yeah, I'm pretty excited about this, man. Uh, we of course talked about this. We this is the two picks that we had, and I think they make sense, man. David Cornswell looks like Superman. Somebody called him best choice Henry Cavill. I'm like, ah, he just looks like Superman. <laughs> that's really, you know, and that's that's how you know Henry Cavill also looks like Superman. Um, and yeah, I think that boy, he he needs to be in the gym right now. Because he is a skinny guy. So hopefully we get, let's get David Cornsweet in the gym right now. I'm pretty freaking excited about Rachel Brosnahan. To be honest, it'll be hard for me to context switch because I've been living with her as Midge Maisel for so long. And she has to be so funny in that show all the time. And Lois is not that person. <laughs> so I think that's going to get taken used to whenever that, that time comes around to see her. It's like, I'm going to be expecting Lois to crack a joke because it's Rachel Brosnahan. But... I'm going to have to be like, okay, we're serious. We're serious. And I think I'm going to have to bring that back to reality. But I think she's a tremendous actress. There are serious moments in Marvel's Mrs. Maisel as well. And she absolutely kills it. And so I I, I really am looking uh, forward to what she can do. Somebody said, I seen a tweet. that was like, they never cast Lois Ray. I was like, what? Lois Lane? Dang. Okay. That's a, a bold take. Shoot, I thought Amy was doing great. <laughs> But, uh, man, I, I am looking forward to see if they can uh, develop some good chemistry. I'm sure they'll have whatever early readings and screenings and do everything they need to do to get them in the right place. I think they I'll, I also love this announcement, how early it's coming, because it feels like it feels like I exhale a little bit because now they can get to the work and do what they need to do in order to get this movie in the right spot, man. But I'm pretty excited about it. I think we have. Two, two good people, and I think it's a good casting. And I love the fresh look at it, too. It's nobody that everybody just loves. You know what I mean? I really love this fresh take um, at, at, at this casting. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. Certainly. This might be one of the most screen-tested, most rigorous processes in terms of casting that, that we've seen in recent memory. This has been a long search for this particular role. Don't Don't believe it at all that this is at all knew that they've just started to do this like folks they have been working on this for a long time now because there have been a lot of rumors about the casting of this movie mm -hmm. because they have to be super careful because these characters especially superman are about to carry a new shared cinematic universe on their shoulders for the next who knows how long for at least 10 years you know so when you launch with the movie called superman legacy that is going to kickstart a new era for dc and live action there is a tremendous amount of pressure you know something that has to certainly be uh, very scrutinized as much as as much as we scrutinize a Spider-Man casting or mm -hmm. a James Bond casting like it's very much similar to that process and so I'm relieved that they finally reached this finish line because it says to me that James Gunn feels very confident in who he's picked he also likes the people that he works with which we know is very huge for him he does not like to work with quote-unquote assholes you know which you know I'm sure there's plenty of them in Hollywood plenty to choose from but it seems like David Cornsweet 
is also a guy who has not done a ton of work, which I'm excited about. He's mm-hmm. not this exactly. huge superstar. He's not this very well-known name. A lot of people will discover him for the first time because of this role. And I think that's cool. I think that that's a really good thing. And to a somewhat lesser degree, I think also the same for Rachel Brosnahan. She's certainly a little bit more well-known and a little bit more popular, but she hasn't necessarily been in a huge mega mm-hmm. blockbuster. you know. So this will also be an opportunity for people to really discover her. They're both relatively young. He's 29, she's 32. So they're complementary in age and that chemistry between each other, I know that they had to screen test them over and over and over again. That's going to be just so integral and so important to the story. We know Lois and Clark, that is just, that is your bread and butter for any Superman story. Yep. So I can't wait to see it brought to life. I think that they have uh, some really talented people on their hands and it gets me super excited. And as I mentioned at the top, when we first started talking about this, I'm also extremely excited to see who else fills out the rest of the cast because villains supporting characters, possibly Perry Mason, if he's going to be included in the story, we don't know. Like mm-hmm. there's so many other roles that can be very important. Jor-El or, 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 you know, mm-hmm. his father, you know, and his Jimmy. mother in Kansas, like all that stuff. Like mm-hmm. there, there are a lot more roles that are equally as important to the Superman mythos, um, including the, the, obviously the main two characters with Lois and Clark. So they still got their work cut out for them, but I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic about the, the direction that they're heading. And so to move on to our other story this week, we got a brand new trailer. The first trailer, in fact, for Sony's upcoming Marvel movie, Craven the Hunter. We've known that this movie is going to come out. We've been hearing about it. And they actually debuted some early footage back a couple of months ago at CinemaCon in which they revealed that Rhino would be added to the movie as well as another Spider-Man sort of spinoff character. But we finally, as the public, got our first trailer for this movie, and it was a Red Band trailer. It was rated R, and they just dropped it. The movie will be coming out this October of this year. And so uh, what did you think about this trailer? Did it get you excited for Craven the Hunter? We know that Sony has been producing a lot of these villain spinoff movies that don't have Spider-Man a par- part of them, but uh, Craven the Hunter being one of his more notable villains, did this trailer up your excitement level for the movie? Yeah, I just like seeing, I think, a R-rated trailer in general. I was like, oh, shoot, Red Band. What what are we doing here? I love that idea because we don't get that enough. Um, and so coming into it, or just watching the trailer in general, it was it was it was some stuff in it that was uh, surprising to see. Uh, I'm more than anything. I think Aaron Taylor Johnson is amazing, <laughs> and so I, I'm I'm just re- excited for him to lead a film such as this. Uh, my my only worry, and I think part of my why I'm afraid of this Sony verse of villains and characters is like. I need them to make them villains. Does that make like I need to I need you to say by the end of the movie I need to be like Craven is not a good guy. And I don't 100% get that from the trailer. It do, he does feel he feels more like an anti-hero um as, as I'm watching it and and I'm I don't know, something about it. It's like give me pure villain. Um and I I don't get that completely. Uh, it could be Aaron Taylor Johnson just too charismatic. I don't know what it is. But I need them to hammer the nail on the head a little bit more. That Craven the Hunter is a villain, and I think if they can if they can uh, give me that, then I'm I'm here and I'm all aboard. Morbius, of course, we know it's a bad movie, but I think it suffered from the same thing. Morbius is like feel bad for me now. I'm a vampire. Okay, you know what I mean. Like, but he never really felt like a a villain. He had an antagonist in the movie. That's and I'm like. Are you a bad guy or not? You know what I'm saying? Type. So I'm just hoping they don't fall into that same trope. Um, but I think it looks good. I think I think there's some action in it that's like, oh, I, lo- I love the direction. I think they're going with a lot of the action, a lot of the scenes um, that came out of the trailer, man. So I love that as Red Band. I love Aaron Taylor Johnson. And I think 
you know, I, I think it looks fine. Unfortunately, my expectations can't be too, too high because uh, the, the track record is already not so great. But from what this trailer gave me, man, it, 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 it did raise it just slightly. It did raise it just slightly. So we'll see. Um, I didn't like this trailer. I thought it was bad. It doesn't look like a good movie. It looks like very much in the same vein of Morbius and, and you know, to a less fun extent, Venom. I think at least the Venom movies have been fun and, mm -hmm. and, and comedic and, and hilarious even at, at certain points. But uh, this one didn't do anything for me. And, and it just screams Morbius to me, which I'm very, very alarmed by because Morbius was damn near a traumatic experience watching that. And so um, Craven the Hunter, um, the one thing that it has going for it is the fact that it's going to be, it at least appears to be uber violent. And they, they do, you know, sort of come forward with that with the red band trailer you do get to see some blood and some mm -hmm. really really vicious action and i think that it does have that working forward but if that's all that it's going to have if there's not really going to be any any you know sort of noteworthy reason as to why we're examining this character in, in a spinoff movie without spider-man then exactly. I'm, I'm just very hesitant about it and and ultimately this trend of making villains sympathetic and 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 really turning them into anti-heroes as opposed to villains it just hasn't worked. Like, if we're just keeping it honest, mm -hmm. it has not worked. Like, what example can you say, like, oh, this actually proved to be something that, that worked? The only one exception, which I do think is, is the exception, is Joker. And Joker. Joker is kind of largely responsible mm -hmm. for this new trend that we're on. But the difference between Joker and other movies like Morbius or Black Adam or Venom is the fact that Joker was really only filling in the blanks for questions that people had already been asking about the character to begin mm. with. How did a man become so fucking insane and maniacal? What happened to a person that made them the way that they are? And it doubled down on that stuff. It took a mental health angle, which is mm -hmm. different than how a lot of people associate with Joker because they don't ever really allude to that in many comics. But it was still interesting. And I think by the end of the movie, when you see Joker, spoiler alert, you're not rooting for that guy. You're actually terrified mm -hmm. at what he's becoming. You see how mm -hmm. monstrous of a figure he is and how influential he is. These movies like Morbius and Venom and, and all these other like anti-hero spinoffs, they're actually trying to make them heroes. Yeah, they're heroes and, and, and they kill people. That... Like, what's really the difference between them and, and Iron Man in the MCU movies? Iron Man kills people in the MCU. <laughs> Thor kills a lot of people. Captain America's killed people. Like, we've gotten violence and we've gotten death at the hands of heroes in other films. And so what actually separates these villains from the exactly. pack? And so I just I just always leave just thinking, like, can we just keep our villains villains? Like, what's wrong with that? Why exactly. don't we just keep them as villains? And you're not going to have Spider-Man in it, which makes it all the more or less interesting because they're purposefully changing the origin of craven like he's not at all associated with spider-man and because of that they have to do things differently for this live action version which i feel a little weary about you don't ever have to necessarily be prescriptive of the comics and adhere to them all the time but you do want to see some of that connective tissue mm -hmm. you do want to see some of those threats taken over and i don't think that this movie is really going to do that it's going to make it it's going to make it a bad father story like oh fuck my father treated me terribly so i have to get revenge on him that's what it seems like it's going to be and i'm I'm just not really that interested into it um and i'm even less interested the fact that rhino's in it because when have we seen a good live action rhino we got one example <laughs> paul giamatti it wasn't it it was not it and so i don't know what they're going to do here hopefully i'm wrong hopefully they surprise me but for right now 
I'm super hesitant, but folks, we'll have to see what that all looks like when the movie Craven the Hunter comes out this October. But with all of that out the way, that's all we have for this episode of Two Black Nerds, folks. Thank you again for tuning into another podcast. We will actually be back later this week to talk about Marvel Studios' brand new series on Disney Plus, Secret Invasion. That's right, Marvel Studios is finally back with the brand new series, so we're going to talk about the first two episodes and catch up with our thoughts on that. And we'll also be back next week because we have to talk about the brand new Indiana Jones film, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, the final installment in the Indiana Jones saga, allegedly. And we'll also catch up with some other things that have hit streaming, such as The Bear and Black Mirror. So there's plenty to look forward to over the next couple of days. But until then, we will see y'all next time. Yes, sir. We are Audi 5000. Please check out our Two Black Jedi and Two Black Sith collection at twoblacknerds.com. And remember, always bet on black. Appreciate y'all. Love y'all. Thank you for listening to another episode of Two Black Nerds, where we're too black, too nerdy. And we out, y'all. Peace. She coming fast up there. I don't know when it's time to care for her. Smoking the best of all. I just been chopping and cooking the vegetables.